Merry Christmas, everyone. This is a special edition of the Molly and Pete Save Christmas podcast that you can find on WGN+. And normally the podcast is where we review Hallmark Christmas movies. But for this special Christmas edition, we are going to review one of our favorite Christmas movies of all time. Here's the story of a lovely lady who was bringing up three very lovely girls. All of them had hair of gold, like their mother, the youngest one in curls. It's the story of a man named Brady who was busy with three boys. Yes, it's the Brady Bunch. I'm sure you're familiar with that song. But you may not be familiar with the 1988 made for TV movie, A Very Brady Christmas. Yeah, this came on 20 years after it was like the 20th anniversary reunion of the cast of the original show. And so everyone is in it except for Susan Olsen, who was on her honeymoon when they filmed this. And she's replaced by the actress Jennifer Runyon, who you might recognize from an arc on uh, Beverly Hills 90210 as Steve's scheming girlfriend. I think it's weird that one of the main actors in the original run of The Brady Bunch is not cast in the Very Brady Christmas because of a honeymoon conflict. It seems like they would have worked something out where they could have changed a couple of dates. In this movie, Cindy feels very left out, so that's fitting, I suppose. Um, So it opens up with Mike and Carol Brady in their same house. It's just been modernized Mm -hmm. for the late 80s. They're working out on their exercise bikes that they bought last year for each other for Christmas. They both have, there's lots of brushed out perms (laughs) in in this. Um, They're wearing pastel track suits. And they still have great chemistry with each other. No wonder I loves you. As you can see from that great line from... Mike Brady. It's the same exact house that you've come to love from the original series, just with some modern updates. And Mm -hmm. the den is now, that's the workout room. That's the the room that's right off of the backyard with the AstroTurf that's now updated into a cool workout room because everybody was working out back in 1988. (laughs) So we, uh, we find out that Carol's a realtor. Now Mike's still an architect. They're empty nesters. And they're going to buy each other without each other knowing they've decided to use their vacation fund that they've been saving up for Mm -hmm. years to buy vacation. So Mike's going to buy a trip to Japan. Carol's going to buy a trip to Greece. And they, on their own, call their children to tell them their plans. But they don't know. Mike is buying the trip for Carol without Carol knowing. It's going to be a surprise present for Christmas. So people start to piece this together like, uh uh-oh, they're both buying trips. For them to go on at Christmas, that's not going to work. In the meantime, they get a knock on the door and who could it be but Alice? And poor Alice, so she had, I guess she had married Sam, the butcher, and poor Alice shows up crying and she she does a lot of ridiculous crying in this movie like, Sam has left her for a younger woman. My husband left me a note written on paper from his butcher shop. Dear Alice, I lied to you. I wasn't working nights plucking chickens. I met a younger woman. At first, we just traded meatloaf recipes. Then one night, she asked me over to season her rump roast. I guess I'm an old fool. But I fell for her like a pound of ground chuck. They welcome Alice back into their house, and she has her uniform. Yeah, she goes right back into being the maid. 
Alice, you're our guest. Don't do anything. But they quickly like get used to her being the maid. <laughs> yeah, Mike's ordering her around to make him breakfast. So we're happy to have Alice back under you know sad circumstances. And they also, Mike and Carol individually, tell Alice about these trip plans. And she doesn't know what to do. She's stressed out about mm-hmm. it, too. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? These plans are spoiled when Mike and Carol both go to the travel agency at the same time. Yeah, well, also. <laughs> very 1988 where you have to go to a travel agency to plan your trip so you have to go to the bank first and withdraw money and maybe like into one of those white folder envelope (laughs) get your money out of your travel fund go to the travel agency look at a brochure and then i don't know they type into a typewriter (laughs) (laughs) so mike meets with his travel agent and the next cubicle over carol goes to meet with the other travel agent mrs crane (laughs) who's another villain of this movie um so it's spoiled and mrs crane tries to vary i guess she writes a check maybe she tries to verify the check with the bank and the funds are missing or not there it seems that you have a balance of eight dollars and 17 cents in your special account That's impossible. That's our special savings account. That's the money for our cruise to Greece. Well, thanks for stopping by, Mrs. Brady, if that's your name. (laughs) She's so mean. If if that's your real name. (laughs) That scene is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. It always has been. I get really excited when that scene's coming up. (laughs) So they overhear each other in the cubicles and Mike stands up. And Carol's like panicking about where could this money be? Somebody stole our money, Mike. (laughs) And ha ha, they find out they were both going to buy these vacations for each other. So they come to the compromise that instead of vacations for each other, what if we bring all of our kids and their families home for Christmas? We haven't done this in so long. We're always we're so spread out. We really get a chance to to get reacquainted with the kids when they call them to tell them this news that they've decided Mm -hmm. this. First, we see Marsha. Marsha is married to this goofball named Wally. And Wally walks in the door of their house. And they live in Chicago. And yeah, because one of the kids is wearing yeah, a Mikey. Cubs uh, t-shirt. No, Mickey. Mickey, the kid, is wearing a Cubs t-shirt. And Wally walks in with a box, the classic file box full of the things like a plant and a, and, a, yeah. and a diploma yeah. and all the things a rolodex yeah. all the things from his desk so you know you assume okay uh-oh this guy got fired from his job as a toy salesman marcia's on the phone with her mom and um, she's you know excited about coming home and she's like oh wally what's wrong what's wrong and he's home whining and complaining for so long before he says like oh yeah i got fired yeah. today and first of all marcia should know that he's holding all his stuff from work i think you would put two and two together and think oh yeah th- he probably got fired then we get to see greg barry williams my childhood crush and I actually met Barry Williams when I was in like junior high doing a book signing for his autobiography um, growing up Brady which is a great read I highly recommend it and he was signing eight by tens and I told him that I had a crush on him when I was little or whatever and so on my autograph he wrote I have a crush on you oh, so gross or the eight by ten in this uh, he's rocking the sweet stash all right sweet well this is stash, one of my it. biggest regrets in life they had two options they had the cute young Greg Brady option or they had the current stash. This is, he he was still rocking the stash yeah. in what 1991 or whatever yeah. this was. Only a couple of years yeah, after, a couple this year after this movie. Yeah. And uh, 
I chose the modern stash one. What's wrong with me? Bad decision. Like, what could be better than 1960s yeah. Greg Brady signed? So I have a crush on you. I don't want this creep and the mustache having a crush on me. If the, and he had a perm. And, so he's an OBGYN, which is some kind of creepy to me, yeah. too. And his wife is his nurse. And so as we're, we're finding out that all these, all of the kids have something that they're, they have a problem. Mm-hmm. Either it's a secret that they're hiding or just something like, you know, Wally's embarrassed he's lost his job. So he doesn't want to go home. And then Greg's wife wants him to go to her family's Christmas. Well, they went there last year. I think this is a weak argument. <laughs> We see uh, Cindy is in her dorm room with her roommate, and her problem is that all of her friends are going on a ski trip, which they're all their families are okay with them going on a ski trip over Christmas. The timing seems weird there. I feel like you everyone would have for, a conflict. Yeah. Come home for Christmas and then go on the ski trip yes. on the 26th yeah. or whatever. This is weak. But uh, her deeper problem is that nobody listens to her and pays attention mm-hmm. to her. So like, I want to go to the ski trip. And they're like, no, you're coming home. You have no choice. So we, we see Peter and Peter is working. He's like in in the desert somewhere, Arizona or something. Yeah. One cactus in the window behind the office. Yeah. <laughs> it's like their office is just situated like right in the middle of the desert. Yeah. And um, he is dating his boss, basically. And I guess we kind of figure out that they used to work together and then she was promoted. And he has so many problems with this. And there's a, there's multiple sexist moments in this movie. But this is the height. Peter's problem is that his girlfriend makes more money mm-hmm. than him. Can't deal with it. Yeah. So he's uncomfortable with going home because he doesn't know how he feels about this relationship. And yeah, she's taller than him. She makes more money than him. She's way more capable than he is. Jan is also an architect following her father's footsteps. And she's married to a dweeb named Philip, who's an <laughs> academic. There's a lot of corduroy blazers. Yeah. And they are separating. Philip is moving out. They're fighting with each other, but we don't know exactly why. And it turns out that he is studying the gray lag goose. And he's chosen his research over his relationship with her. <laughs> Bobby is a total dirtbag. <laughs> <laughs> So when, there's a few times they talk on the phone to Bobby and he's like in his kitchen <laughs> eating old Chinese food with also old pizza there. Like their props were like, OK, how can we make him look like a dirtbag? Yeah. A bunch of old leftover food. So we catch up with Bobby at the racetrack. That's a glimpse into Bobby's life at the racetrack. He gets a call. Uh, Mike calls him to tell him about their plans to bring everybody home. And he gets a call on the payphone. <laughs> yeah, the that's a speedway, yeah. So Mike just assumes that it's the library because Bobby is supposed to be in business school. He hasn't told them that he's dropped out of graduate school to become a race car driver. But these phone calls are great because there's so many good just actual phones that yeah, people are. There's so many great 80s phones, phones as big as a shoe. <laughs> Marsha has some sort of contraption where it's, I don't know, it's like a big, huge V. We're just shy, like a clear, one of those clear phones. <laughs> 
Um, and actually, you know what? We should probably go back and watch the dorm scene. There might be a clear phone. Oh, yeah. That yeah, that'd be the perfect spot yeah, for it. It has that kind of feel. So they're, you know, they're having another one of their nightly have a drink and sit down and talk with Alice. And they reminisce about all the great trips that they've had <laughs> yeah, like, over the years. Yeah, Alice is like, oh, you, you, know, you, you and the family had such great trips. And I was thinking about them like they had terrible trips. <laughs> they went to the Grand Canyon and got kidnapped. They went to Hawaii, and the kids were in a dungeon with Vincent Price. Like a, there was a curse. Yeah, a curse. Like oh, a yeah, little the curse icon. On, yeah, the thing. icon, yeah, where then the tarantula <laughs> ends up on Peter, and Greg has a surfing accident. Yeah. There's a yeah. lot of... Their trips weren't good at all. <laughs> Some yeah. tragedy always yeah, happens. They, yeah, they always had a <laughs> terrible trips. So then the other plot that's going on here is that... Carol and Mike have a mutual client, Ted Roberts, the villain here. And Carol sold um, land to Ted Roberts, and Mike is building on this land. Ted is such a bully, and Mike has such conviction, and Ted is trying to push Mike into cutting some corners so he can get this built on time. So that's going on Mm -hmm. at the same time, too. So everyone flies in, and they send Alice. Like, Mike and Carol are getting the house ready. Mike has been put in charge of getting the house ready for the kids to come, because it takes an architect to do this. Yeah, they need an architect to figure out how many bedrooms can fit all the guests. Mike, you're the architect. I think you're the only (laughs) one that can figure out where we're going to put all the eight kids or whatever. So they're getting ready, and they send Alice to the airport. this is the music that this is the montage of Alice. There's lots of montages and there's lots of good music that's like a combination of Christmas, 80s, sax and bass and uh, Brady music. Yeah. So, yeah, you see Alice meeting everyone at their at their gates at their gates. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the logistics of this is a bit hazy as well. They send Alice like, can't these people just get their own cars or? They're grown adults. Yeah. Why does yeah. why? What's Alice, yeah. the geriatric maid, have to come and get everyone? <laughs> so I'm like, and did she bring her passenger van to pick everyone up? How is she bringing them back? So yeah, it's hilarity ensues with Alice trying to get at wrangle everyone. And they start showing up at the house. Again, how did they get to the house? Like they all start showing up. No Alice. Yeah. yeah. And around. separately, it's. Yeah. You know, yeah. Greg comes in and then 15 minutes later, Peter comes in mm-hmm. and then 10 minutes later, Bobby comes in. I'm like, did you all? I thought you all drove here together. Yeah. Well, I thought Alice drove you to. I don't know the necessity of this. <laughs> yeah. And they're reunited and it's like they, it feels like they haven't seen each other in 20 years, right? Yeah. Peter comes in and he's like, wow, it looks exactly <laughs> like it did before. It was the first time that he had been on that set. So then here comes Alice with all of their luggage piled on top of her. And they are mean to Alice. This is when they, like, when Alice comes back in the beginning, they're like, oh, Alice, we love you. And they're like, oh, yeah, we love to abuse you. (laughs) (laughs) So they go and get a tree to decorate. And they just, this is one of my hallmark beefs, is they decorate the tree out of order. Like, they have ornaments on, and then they're putting, like, lights Mm -hmm. on and garland. Like, yeah, this is reversed. So they decorate the tree, and they're all settling in for the holiday and catching up with each other. And, okay, so where are everybody's crises at? 
it's nighttime, people are going to sleep and they're in their different arrangements. So the the couples are, are split up. The unmarried couples yeah. are split up. Kids are kind of split up. So we catch up with everyone in their sleeping buddy. <laughs> and Peter is wearing this crazy long nightgown. It makes me very uncomfortable. Everything about Peter kind of creeps me out. But this nightgown, it's long, but I'm just afraid that I'm going to catch a glimpse of something. Yeah. <laughs> it's creepy. Yeah. Um, so they're all bemoaning their their problems, and they all end up in the kitchen together eating pie. This drives me crazy. Alice yeah. has gone to all the effort to make these pies, and they just use their hands and dig into the pies. These are supposed to be for Christmas. All right, number one. But then no plates, no forks, no knives, no napkins, just hands. Yeah, like a bunch of gorillas. And they're not even enjoying it. They're just like shoving it in their face. Yeah. And like looking mopey. All right, come on. Like you're in California at Christmas. You're all together. Like let's pull it together. So another one of my favorite scenes is Philip and Jan. So Philip and Jan are in like Carol's new office. Yeah. And they don't want to sleep together, but they, nobody knows that they have broken up. So Philip sleeps in a file cabinet. <laughs> like just sleep on the floor. Yeah. Why do you choose the file cabinet? <laughs> if you couldn't sleep on the bed. Your first inclination would just, I'll put something together on the floor, get a pillow and a blanket and sleep on the floor, but no. This leads to one of my other favorite creepy scenes where Carol comes in to wake them up and realizes that they're sleeping apart and they come clean to her. This is the beginning of everyone coming clean. Just in this little conversation, they realize like the misunderstandings they've been having and apologize to each other. And it ends with everyone's wearing a lot of satiny pajamas and (laughs) nightgowns, including Jan. They like make out. It's gross in front of Carol. And then there's this really creepy moment where uh, Philip's sitting on the bed. Jan like he pulls Jan into him and he starts to like undress her. We just see too much of it. It's too slow. And it's just really creepy. So also this morning, Wally and Mickey go for a a jog with Mike in his scoop neck tank. (laughs) Okay, so we have watched this movie I've probably watched this movie 50 times, and I've never noticed this before. This was amazing, our discovery. They run into a guy that owns a toy company down the street. Prescott Toys. Yeah, Prescott Toys. Leonard Prescott. Mickey had spilled the beans to Mike that Wally had been fired. So Mike kind of set this up, like, oh, let's go jogging. Mr. Prescott always waters his flowers at this time in his robe. (laughs) They're standing there talking to Leonard Prescott. The price tag from his pajamas, huge, huge price tag, is hanging on them yeah. still. So, I okay, I, I know that they probably bought these and wanted to return them, like the stylist wanted to return them, but come on. You got a high, you rookie tuck, mistake here. Yeah, Don't you you gotta feel tuck, that? You got to tuck that in. This That's is one of the amazing. best things that happened all Christmas this year, is us seeing that tag. <laughs> so, cut to, it's Christmas Eve, and everyone is gathered around the table. Alice is looking for her pies. Yeah, she doesn't yeah. know where any of the pies And are. nobody says anything. And he, she's, like, frantically looking. And everyone starts to come clean about their secrets. Um, so in the middle of of Mike making his big speech and everyone coming clean and Peter proposing to Valerie, his girlfriend, Ted Roberts, the dreaded Ted Roberts calls to say, oh, no, there's been a collapse at the building. And who else do we call? We don't call the fire department. We call the architect. <laughs> oh, So Mike has to leave Christmas Eve dinner and go down to the job site where people are working on Christmas Eve. And there's a huge crowd of like onlookers and reporters. Again, no, no one who could actually get anybody out of there. There's an ambulance to get the people when they come out. The security guards are trapped 
inside. So Mike and his penny loafers heads inside. Move back, please. Move back. From what we understand, there are two men trapped in the cave-in. And as long as the support's told, they'll be safe. Now, we've been told that someone is on his way with a plan to rescue them. In fact, someone's coming this way. Perhaps that's the man they've been waiting for. Excuse me, sir. Are you the architect or the engineer? Uh, no. What have they told you so far? Can you give us a statement, sir? Okay, well, apparently there's no time for an interview. So Mike comes up with the plan to trench on the other side of the building, and this will release some of the pressure. And the security guards do get out. They come tumbling out. These terrible actors come tumbling out of the building. But Mike is nowhere to be seen, and there's a bigger collapse that happens. By this point, the family has gotten there. They're behind police tape. They're just assuming that the worst has happened. Christmas is ruined. And Cindy starts to comfort her mom and reminds her of that Christmas long ago when she lost her voice. The classic Brady Bunch Christmas episode where... Uh, Cindy asks Santa. Cindy asks Santa for one present, and that's to get her mommy's voice back so she could sing at church. And Cindy tells Mr. Brady that Santa said Santa's going to give mommy her voice back and Mike gets pissed and (laughs) goes to the locker room where all the Santas hang out and like really dresses down Santa. He's like, you can't do that to a kid. (laughs) So Cindy is comforting her. Carol looks to the building. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come so we're reminded of the magic of the Brady Bunch. And lo and behold, here comes Mike. <laughs> we don't know how he got out. He heard the song. <laughs> singing. Got yeah, him out. Singing, yeah. And we look and see it's on 34th Street. It's a miracle on 34th Street. So they get home and Mike's in his, his Christmas pajamas and a robe with no tag. <laughs> and they get a knock on the door. Who could it be? It's Santa Claus. No, it's not Santa Claus. It's gross old Sam the Butcher. (laughs) Not original Sam the Butcher, a new Sam the Butcher. Maybe a a relative of Jennifer Runyon filled in. (laughs) And he's begging for Alice's forgiveness. And she takes him back, which, come on, Alice. You should have just ended this show at Mike coming out. Alice can just stay as the maid. (laughs) Everyone's happy. She seems fine with it. So that's a very Brady Christmas, a holiday tradition. No wonder I loves you. 